I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Sixth guest this week. Very exciting. Been wanting to do this for a while. It is a podcast that focuses on the Canadian sports media. And we have uh, two panels of three. So six guests overall. All right. The first panel is Donovan Bennett, a multimedia host and writer for Sportsnet. Brian Hayes, the host of TSN's Overdrive show and podcast, also a commentator for TSN. And Kara Wagland, an anchor and reporter for SportsCenter and the host of the NFL on TSN. So that's panel one. The second panel consists of Shireen Ahmed, a senior contributor with CBC Sports, the co-host of the Burn It All Down podcast. Morgan Campbell, a senior contributor for CBC Sports and a longtime writer in the Toronto marketplace, including many years with the Toronto Star. And James Sabolski, a play-by-play voice for EA Sports' NHL 21 and a longtime sports media voice in Vancouver. In the podcast, the group discusses whether Canadian sports fans are being served by the Canadian sports media, what Canadian sports consumers want from people in their positions, what content areas are growing and receding, prospects for long-time employment, particularly for young people in the space, whether the U.S. has any, any any impact on the Canadian sports media content, and of course, the impact of the arrival of legalized sports gambling in Canada. I think it's a conversation you're really going to enjoy, uh, particularly if you're an American, in fact, because you probably have not heard this perspective. So six great guests, and uh, and I really appreciate their time and thoughtfulness and their insight. So uh, without further ado, let's embark on our discussion on the Canadian sports media. All right. So we now bring in our first panel, and I've introduced some of them at the top, but I'll give them a mini introduction here as well. Donovan Bennett, who has been on this podcast before, is a multimedia host and writer for Sportsnet. His work often touches on the intersection between sports and race, politics, gender, and pop culture. And uh, those of you who listen to this podcast know that we co-hosted a podcast on the intersection of COVID-19 and sports, uh, which was a pretty interesting experience when we did that. Brian Hayes hosts TSN's immensely popular show, Overdrive, alongside Jamie McLennan and Jeff O'Neill. You can hear that from 4 to 7 Eastern on TSN 1050, the TSN app in Toronto. Simulcasts on TV, TSN 4. From four to six, TSN two from six to seven. Although the TV timing is subject uh, to change. Before I joined Bob McCowan's show and moved up to Toronto, I was a, uh, a frequent guest on Brian's show. So it's it's good to catch up with him again. Kara uh, Wagland is an anchor and reporter for TSN's Sports Center. For you Americans out there, that's spelled uh, R E here in Canada as opposed to E R in the states. That is the equivalent of Sports Center. She's also the host of the NFL 
on TSN and was out in Los Angeles for the Super Bowl. She's been with TSN since 2011 and has hosted TSN's coverage of the U.S. Open. Donovan, Brian, Cara, thank you for joining me on the Sports Media Podcast. Oh, thank you for having us. Very happy to be here. You got it. All right. Uh, Donovan, since you did not uh, offer any praise to be here, I'm going to start with you. I, I didn't want to... St- I didn't want to start on the lion, Sam. Happy to be here. I appreciate that. It's one of the reasons I like you, honesty. All right, so navigating three people is never easy, so I'm going to try to do my best just to direct questions to you. Donovan, I want to start with a very broad question, and Karen, Brian, please follow Donovan after that. Uh, Donovan, what, what do you think Canadian sports consumers want from, from the people in your positions? Um, I think they want their sports contextualized. I, I think we have enough apps and push alerts that I don't think they necessarily need the information. I think we're no longer in the information age. I think we are now in an attention economy where the battle is getting their attention and really giving context to their sports and giving it in a way that they can understand it, they can process it, they can digest it a little bit. And so if it means what is happening in Ukraine and how does that impact how we perceive certain athletes and what they say or don't say, who will be playing in certain competitions financially, what that might mean for sports leagues and competitions that we love. I I think they want their sports contextualized. So that might mean that, you know, uh, for Wagland, her show now relative to what it was five, 10 15 years ago, there's more chats, there's more conversations and less just highlights. For Hayes, that might mean his show, you know, they're having conversations. I think, you know, he could speak to it better than I, but I think the success of that show is they transfer the conversations that they would have in a hockey dressing room, uh, but they're having it on air maybe cleaned up a little bit, but it's that same tone, that same value to that conversation with everything that's going on in, in sports. So, Uh, I think for me, you know, you mentioned the the type of work that I do. It's having maybe some broader conversations about life through the lens of sport and how things like COVID, things uh, like race, ethnicity, religion, how they intersect with sport. So I I think the battle to, you know, necessarily be first to break news, be first to, to give a highlight or give a highlight the best. I think that's less the war that we're fighting specifically here in Canada. I think, you know, also we're not necessarily fighting the war of who has the hottest take and talks the loudest wins. I think the Canadian sports consumer is really looking for a way to understand what they're watching so that they have some capital in their own dressing rooms, in their own workplaces, in their own homes when they're having these sports conversations in debates. So, Kara, I would agree um, with DJ. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I agree with DJ in the fact, in the sense that people want us to contextualize uh, what they're looking at. One hundred percent, he's bang on with like with Twitter and everything like that. We're not breaking news, so to speak, as much as we used to, um, and we're certainly not giving them the news bites anymore because they're getting that on their phone. I would argue that they tune in to us for entertainment uh, first and foremost, uh, for personalities. And speaking to the point that DJ made about, you know, over the last five years, a, a show like Sports Center. We're seeing more opinions, more conversations. I mean, we've had these conversations in the newsroom five years ago. Um, there was no giving opinion from a host. It was 
you go up and you are unbiased and you are not a fan and you give the news. And I've seen such a shift over the last few years where all of a sudden it's okay to have a bit of an opinion. It's okay to be upset with something that happened in sports or feel a certain way or show some fandom. Um, you still have the old school people who will hit you up on Twitter and are upset that you're talking about being a Steelers fan or whichever team you lean towards. But um, I think that that's changed. Like people want to see us more um, in a humanizing role rather than in a kind of talking head um, formal role. And so I would say that they tune in more for entertainment personalities. They still want us to be knowledgeable, know as much or more than them. Um, so they feel like they're tuning into us for a reason, but we're also providing an escape from reality. And that's where it can get a little muddy in my opinion, when sports intersects other things, um, things overlap more than they ever have. And so I am on board with talking about all of the intersections, but you still get a lot of hate from people on Twitter, the stick to sports crowd. So there's still very much, I think, a large group that wants to get just the sports from us as well. Brian, how do you see that? Yeah, I, I think um, Kara just used the term that, that I generally use as much as possible when trying to describe what we try to do and that's entertain. I don't, I, I think ultimately that's what this is about. Sports is about entertainment sports. Um, it's an escape for a lot of people. It's a lifestyle for other people, but it also comes down to, to where you land within the sports media. Like the three of us on this podcast with you, Richard, and I would include you, the four of us, we all have very different roles and we have, a, you know, we play different roles and we do different things within this organism that is sports media. And I think, where sports media has exploded like any other form of media is the, the ability for people to know they can go find what they're looking for. And that's because of the advancement of technology. So for instance, on a, a call like this, uh, Donovan may have something that he's written or a podcast that he's got coming out about whatever topic it may be. And it's probably a topic that is going to drag in a lot of sports fans and they know they can go find them and they can find them and they can read him or they can listen to him. They know Kara is going to supply, you know, something on the NFL or a sports center hit or whatever it is. And if you're going to, to care, or if you're going to sports center, you kind of have an idea of what you're looking for. And then in, in my lane, quote unquote, um, is, is, you know, we do three hours a day, 15 hours a week, and we just try to entertain people. We try to have fun. That doesn't mean that it's not going to become serious at times, but you can also control that. You know, it, it doesn't, it ultimately you, you control your show. There are topics that are too big to, to look past. Um, but ultimately you, you get to control where you're going to go and, and how you want to approach it. And I think, um, I guess what I'm getting to is, is there's so many different sports fans out there. Not everyone's going to be looking for the same thing, but everyone I think can be served and I, everyone can feel like, okay, they found what they're, they're looking for. Um, so in, in terms of what I bring in particular, and I wouldn't paint a brush over everyone and suggest that everyone has to approach it the same way is I just try to be entertaining. We try to be entertaining. We try to be funny. We try to be self-deprecating. We try to talk about ourselves. We try to be open about who we are. Um, and, you know, we don't hide our allegiances. We, we don't, you know, pretend to be something that we're not as much as we can anyway. And as a result, you know, it, it seems to work. So um, again, I think, Everyone would look at it differently. Everyone would have a different opinion. But for me, first and foremost, when it comes to sports and, and what I do with sports media, we, we, we have to entertain. If we're not entertaining, we're not going to have a following. So um, that's, that's become very clear to us. And that's something that I try to bring to the table as much as I can. Brian, I'm going to stick with you. Um, and I want you, all three of you guys, obviously, 
to answer this um, from a Canadian sports media prism. Um, over uh, the last five or ten years, for sure, we've seen a lot of layoffs, consolidation in the sports media business. If you extend beyond uh, the last ten years, you see newspapers hemorrhage sports sections, hemorrhage sports writers. Um, as a very writ large question, how do you see your prospects for long-term employment in the sports media field? Well, I think um, the the available content is still, you know, there's still a lot of content out there. And I still believe that people are consuming content. It's just the way that they're consuming is very different, you know. Um, so I, I don't, I don't, I can't tell you I'm going to work for TSN for the next 20 or 30 years. I don't know that. Um but I do believe if, if you're ambitious, um, if, you've, if you've got a history in this industry, if you've got a work ethic, if you've got talent, then, yeah, you're, you might have to get up off the floor, dust yourself off, and go find a different avenue. But I think the avenues are out there. So um, I, I think, yeah, it's a volatile business. How many businesses in the world are not, though, right? Like every business in one way or another is, is volatile. And you know that going in, you know, I learned a, a lesson pretty quickly. The first job I had where I was really signing a contract and making some money, I, I was laid off pretty quickly and it was a pretty quick reality check. And it, in, in retrospect, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I realized, okay, this is a part of the nature of the business. And I had to, I had to grind to stay alive and I had to grind to, to get back on the horse and, and keep going and make a determination as to whether or not I wanted to stay in the industry. And it's something I love to do. It allows me to be creative. I have fun doing it. There's a lot of benefits to it. But yeah, there's always uncertainty. Um, I can't predict the future in terms of exactly where I would be employed. Um, I love being at TSN. They've been great to me. But I think, again, there's so many different avenues now. They just look different than they did 20 or 30 years ago. But if you've got the drive and the ambition and you want to do it, I, I think you can find find your footing. So um that's always how I've approached it, and, and I expect that to be the case in the future. Carrie, I ask you the same question, and you know, you're know you in an interesting spot in that had you had that job, say, 15, 20 years ago, people would have thought that this is a lifetime um, employment. If you can land at a highlight show, one of the big highlight national shows in the country, th this is essentially almost like a lifetime job because – this is the most important way that people get their sports highlights. Obviously, that world has changed, including the web, including smartphones. So, again, the same question for you that I asked Brian in terms of how do you look at the, the landscape of trying to stay in this field for, for as long as you wish? Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, we talk a lot about the death of the highlight shows and Twitter and, and everything kind of at your fingertips. Your highlights are right there. So, you know, what are you tuning in for? And, and you can see a shift. I mean, you look at some of the names that started 10, 15, 20 years ago and the platform that they were able to build, you just can't build that platform these days anymore. Um, working on a highlight show, like they're just, there isn't the same um, level of consumption there. But I do think for me personally, um, I think that maybe I become more specialized. I think that, um, will I work at sports center forever? Probably not. But I think that sports center may not exist in its current format forever either. I think that we're kind of at a weird space right now in sports broadcast, especially in Canada, where I think the next two to three years, in my opinion, will be a little rocky. Uh, we're kind of figuring it out. But people are still consuming sports. They're just changing how they're consuming sports. And so Canada, I think right now, has to kind of catch up 
to where things are going rather than maybe listening to radio. People are listening to podcasts, maybe rather than consuming their sports on cable or streaming their sports. I think that there's still space for pretty much everything you see today. Um, maybe in a tweaked way, like, you know, sports center has already been adapting so much uh, in the seven years that I've been hosting. We've come so far from just, you know, like giving highlights to storylines and telling backstories and having conversations, showing more personality, et cetera, giving people, a reason to tune in above and beyond what they can already get on their phone on Twitter. Um, but I think that once we catch up to like streaming rules and, and all that kind of stuff, and we kind of adapt where the industry is moving, I think that things will stabilize a lot. But right now, I mean, it's certainly tough. I mean, it's scary knowing that for the longest time in Canada, there's two players. And if you work for one, you know, you either work for one or the other, and it doesn't create a lot of competition. And I'm hopeful that, um, from our perspective, anyway, as people who work as broadcasters in that industry, that with streaming companies coming in, and it might feel a little uncertain for a few years, but I do think I'm hopeful that it'll only create competition. And that'll be good for everybody at the end. And that's kind of what I'm banking on is, you know, maybe instead of doing sports center, I'm, I'm focused more on NFL. And I have a couple other ventures on the side. I think a lot of people are kind of becoming multitaskers in that sense. Very few people have just one steady job in this industry anymore. There, I mean, look how many hats DJ wears. You have to be able to do so many different things. So I think moving forward, you're just going to see a lot more multi-tool people rather than people who do just one job. Donovan, I, rather than um, sort of have you follow on that, and you're welcome to uh, in the midst of this, I, I would, uh, I'd like to ask you what areas you think are growth areas and what areas are receding when it comes to the content of what Canadian sports uh, viewers, readers, listeners get? Well, I, w- I would follow maybe just by saying this, you know, Wagon talked about the, the fact that you have to have a personality uh, and people are looking for that more uh, as a host. I think that's a bit of a survival mechanism now for us as on-air personalities, if you will. Because if you're just reading a prompter, if you're just, you know, taking us to and from break, the economics says that you're somewhat replaceable. There is going to be someone that eventually is younger and that's cheaper. That's going to be able to do that. So literally just not only to differentiate yourself, but just to keep your job, you have to bring that personality to differentiate yourself. And that's why I think it, there's a big shift where it's not just about, you know, the ability to host or to anchor. I think it is, you know, what does our brand partnership team think of you? You know, can we sell you as a commodity to bring in unique revenue? Uh, you know, we are you someone who has a big social media following that can bring us viewers? Do we see you as we transfer to a more digital world, someone who's going to be comfortable playing in that space, willing, because some of us, who are a bit more old school aren't. Uh, so I think that's the changing reality for us. I, I think when you, when I look at the real growth opportunities for us in terms of coverage, I think it's the sports. Just look at the transformation of who our audience is, the immigration patterns of our country. It is lots of new immigrants who necessarily aren't sitting down and watching you know, three-hour hockey games. Some of them assimilating are, but some of them are vested and interested in the growth of our national soccer program, the growth and the rise of our Canadian 
basketball players. So I, I think we will start to diversify the sports that we offer. And I don't think this is you know crazy at this point to say, but I don't think it is going to be a fait accompli that the first block of your show will always be hockey. Tim Lewicki said, you know what? There's a period where the Raptors are going to be bigger than Leafs. And it sounded crazy at the time. And, and it, it still might be. But when there was that parade with a couple million people, it didn't seem crazy on that day. So, so I think the real challenge for us will be how do we tell, you know, the same level of storytelling that we traditionally do for hockey across a wider array of sports? Because if we don't, the consumer will we'll go and get it from somewhere else. They're not going to sit around until 40 or 50 minutes in to get their soccer highlights or their basketball highlights. They'll get it on YouTube. They'll get it via apps like, you know, like Bleacher Report, and they'll just follow those teams. So we were gonna, are going to have to change for our audience. Our audience is not going to change for us. That's, that's, that's actually that's very interesting, Donovan, because it leads me to um, – it leads me to a question and I'll start with Kara and then Brian, you can follow Kara. And it's something obviously that's interesting to me, given that I'm an American living in Canada. And Kara, I wonder how much does the U S impact what you do on a daily basis regarding what you present on TSN, what you think viewers are interested in, because as Donovan said, once upon a time in this country, the notion of not leading with hockey would have seemed crazy. But I wonder if at all um, that's changed. And if it has changed, has the U.S. impacted that at all? I don't think it has a ton, if I'm being honest. Um, I mean, one of the main properties I cover is football. And while football has, or NFL, while NFL has gained steam in Canada, um, it's it's not going to rule the way it does in the States. Like, it's not even close. Um, I still think that we take a more regional perspective to how we especially order sports center. Um, I think DJ kind of hit it on the head when he said like, it's the changing demographic in Canada. That's more changing what people are looking at. And I think that it's more of a question of because the way people consume sports are changing, we're having to look at casting a wider net. Like who are we missing? Who isn't watching sports that maybe would watch sports, but we're not catering to them. And so we're starting to see a lot more um, behind women's sports. We're starting to see a lot more behind more niche sports. And I think the numbers will still be there. We'll see a bigger number overall, but it won't be all in one sport. It'll kind of be in a few different baskets. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think it's a great thing. Um, like, I mean, just looking at the hockey contract, when we talk about hockey, hockey very much still rules in Canada, but it's lost some ground. And when we talk about, you know, the hockey contract being up with SportsCenter in four or five years or whatever it is, I don't know that that contract will be worth as much anymore because there's other sports who are kind of taken out of the bucket. And, you know, there's only so many people to take out of the bucket, but we're seeing soccer gaining immense steam, especially on with the national programs and women's sports gaining a lot of steam. And so I think that's more where it's going to shift. We're still going to very much be contained in what Canada, Canada and Canadians like. Um, we take a cue because a lot of the major sports that we follow are in the States. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, how some things shift with things like baseball who are going through, you know, labor discussions right now and, and things like that. But um, if anything, I would argue that the States are kind of taking a little bit of a cue from us with, with what they're doing with the new contract with hockey and, and really kind of promoting that and, and bumping that up and seeing if they can't get that going in the States a little more than it is. So it's, it's interesting to see, cause we kind of go in this weird ebb and flow with the States 
but I don't know that we'll ever really change where kind of the big four sit. Like, I don't think NFL will ever be number one in Canada um, the way it is in the States. So proximity, we're, we're going to like what, what the Americans like just because it's right there. But I do think Canadians very much go on their own. You follow their own kind of um, journey, if you will. But it also, I mean, if the Canadian men's soccer team, women's uh, soccer teams weren't doing as well as they were, then maybe soccer wouldn't be booming as much as it is. So I guess it, it also depends on um, international teams and how well they're competing at the time as well. Brian, um, the reality of your show is you have two former NHL players who sit next to you. So in many ways, that has to dictate what a big content area is for you. My sense, obviously, of knowing your show is I don't think your show is dictated at all by what's going on in the U.S. And it seems to me that you're you're always going to play to your strengths, which on your show seems to be hockey. Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, um, I think playing the hits sometimes feels as if you know, you're, you're not, uh, you're not trying hard enough or you're not willing to go in depth enough, but ultimately if you do it really well and you garner a big audience, then it's probably the right thing to do. Um, and I, I find that's what happens in the States. Like they following from afar, it's, they play the hits, they hammer. It's the NFL LeBron. Like now all of a sudden there's just a LeBron should be traded rumor that everyone talks about daily. It's not substantiated in anything. But LeBron sells. So you, you, that's what I find watching from afar. And that's something that I have right. taken into account and, and try to utilize. I don't use the same topics, but um, for instance, you know, the way I would phrase it is, okay, let's say there's, let's say the men's national soccer team, which is definitely growing in popularity. I think the true sign of its popularity will be, though, if it bottoms out and people are still talking about a game against, you know, Jamaica or Costa Rica when they're not expected to win and they don't have, you know, burgeoning household names, you know, like that, that will determine it's the same thing with the Raptors. Like last year, unfairly, because they were out of sight, out of mind, they were in Tampa, they weren't even around and they, they got hit by COVID. They bottomed out, they tanked, but the air came out of the balloon. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't quite to the same extent because they, they weren't as good of a team. So comparing the championship team to the to the bottom feeding team, I think somewhere in the middle ground is where you determine the popularity and and how many people are on board to, to listen to you break down the nuances of a game or the season or whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm a believer in the philosophy that if you do something very well, don't stray from doing something very well, because I think people appreciate that energy. You know, people appreciate um, the chemistry that comes with it. Um, I, I guess the information the sense of a background that might come with it. So we, we generally will take that approach, you know, like again, let, let's say it's the national team. Let's say something's happening with Canada's plan, whoever it's going to be, but there's also a big Austin Matthews story. We're going to hammer Austin Matthews. Like we're, we're going to hammer that. That doesn't mean we won't find time for the national team. Of course we will, but I'm not going to go out of my way to start with the national team just to say, I started with the national team because I don't think my audience is waiting for that. I don't think my audience is expecting that. And I'm not sure we can hit it to the same extent or make it as compelling or as I was saying earlier, as entertaining. So um, again, playing the hits, uh, there's a sense up here in Canada that it's, it's lazy or, um, you know, you should be more nuanced or you should be more in depth. And, and I, I never quite understood that philosophy. I never quite understood that mentality that you've, you've got to spread yourself so thin. 
where, you know, if you, if you can find a few things that you do really well, and I think hockey, clearly we do well. I think being personable, we do well. I think we make people laugh. Um, and, and we do those, uh, those things as much as we can, because we think we do them well. And we've managed to garner an audience by doing it. So, um, that, that's the delicate balance, you know, like, would there be a different audience out there for us? If we, if we spent more time in different areas, possibly, you know, possibly, but would we lose some of the audience we already have? It's the chicken or the egg. So, uh, I'm not sure if there's a right or a wrong answer there, but yeah, we, we kind of know what our wheelhouse is. We we're comfortable in that. We, we play the hits. I think we do them well and it's, it's working for us. I, yeah, I agree a, with, re- I, ahead, I agree with Brian. I think the, in using the States is a great example because you're right. It's the Cowboys, LeBron, um, and Curry and the Warriors essentially. But I think the question is, will those hits change and are we in a position to pivot when they do change? Because there is a time in our lifetime where in the United States, the hits were boxing, horse racing, and baseball. Right. And those are not the case anymore. <laughs> right? it, it, it used to be Yankees, Red Sox that would lead first take. And now it's, you know, Warriors, Lakers. So I, I, there, it, it's up to people who make a lot more money than us to figure out what are those changes going to be if they come and what are those factors that might influence that change? For me, I think the biggest one, and it's the elephant that's soon to be officially in the room and that's betting because I do foresee a day where in this country, the NFL in in your show, Waglin is much bigger because of betting because it is so much more mainstream that it is a part of our culture in a way that it hasn't been historically growing up as a Canadian. And so what are the areas? I mean, we've seen it with um, F1 and the infusion of interest in F1 just because Netflix made a show that's outstanding. So I'm curious to see how these sensibilities pivot and how some of those hits pivot based off of, you know, some of the market factors change. Yeah, well, well, all right. This is very good. Once again, Donovan, you're, you're hosting the show. That's a good segue into sports gambling. I will just say, as someone who unfortunately has PTSD over this, the hits do change. Uh, I spent many years uh, writing about ESPN's obsession with Tim Tebow. So trust me, the hits uh, the hits occasionally change every now and then. Kara, um, I want to. Donovan brought up the impact of sports gambling, and that's a major story that exists now in this country, and obviously in. A month or so, it'll be an even bigger story when things really get rolling, particularly in Ontario. From your perspective, and again, you can take this any way you want, how do you anticipate or what do you anticipate will be the impact of sports gambling on sports media? I think it's going to, I'm really interested to see how it changes because I think DJ's right and it's going to really shift the landscape. Um, I hope it creates a ton of jobs, which would be great for everybody. Um, I do think it's when I talked about casting the wider net, I think that's part of it is you're going to get maybe more casual sports fans who wouldn't necessarily tune in um, for an entire game, but because they can do the single game in game betting, all of a sudden they have a horse in the race and they're sitting down and watching a game that they wouldn't watch because you know, maybe it's not the Warriors, the Lakers, the Cowboys, it's, you know, the Arizona Diamondbacks, but Hey, I'm going to sit through this game because I have some money on it. So I think that, that's really going to infuse some viewership. I think that it's going to uh, cast a net over some people that maybe wouldn't have sat down on a Thursday night and watched 
what is normally not a great matchup on Thursday night football, but this past season, the Thursday night football games were awesome. Um, I think that's going to happen. Um, I think for something like baseball, you could see a huge change because what do we, everyone's been talking about with baseball. It's so long. It's so hard to sit through a game, except when you have skin in the game, all of a sudden it makes it a lot easier to kind of follow along uh, and keep in, keep your eye on the game more than you would have normally in a, a four hour Red Sox Yankees game. So to me, those are the kind of the two that pop up immediately, but I, I don't even think we're going to realize what the implications of the single game betting um, coming to Canada. We won't even know what the changes and implications will be for a while. Like I think things are going to happen and, and things are going to shift that we're not even planning for yet. Brian? Yeah, I think this is uh, this is pretty deep because I think from um, an economic standpoint, it has the potential to be just massive. I mean, you look at what's been happening really around the world, the amount of the infusion of money. The fact of the matter is a lot of these books are not are, they're not going to work. You know, like we saw when weed became legal up here and <laughs> every corner had a different store and now they're all gone. You know, there's only so many companies that can last. There's only so many companies that can work. So which ones are going to work? But in terms of the actual sports content, that's not for us to decide. And I think that there's there's a, a an idea that there'll be an infusion of money. And what is that going to allow you to do? What is it going to possibly, um, you know, push you to do more because you feel like there's there's a payoff there? Um, I think that that is certainly something that's yet to be determined. But I think, you know, depend it depends on the sport. Like the NFL is synonymous with gambling. Like we've been... We've been talking gambling for years when it comes to the NFL. We always drop the line. We talk about the line. We'll ask guests about who they think are going to cover as opposed to who they're going to, who are going to win. You know, we've been doing that long before the legalization of, of sports gambling or um, single game betting. I think what's interesting for me is, is the way the sports leagues have quickly pulled the 180 and really in the most hypocritical fashion possible. I mean, they were storming you know, um, Washington back in the day, like how dare you allow game? And now they're happily in Vegas taking the money, you know? And right. um, I think the leagues have a lot of catching up to do. I think the NHL, I, I hammer on this all the time. You can't be saying, we'll let you know who's in net. You got to make that announcement well in advance. I mean, you can say a lot of things about the NFL, but they understand where their bread is buttered. They get it. They got to allow people to know who's playing that week. So you got to get up to date on that kind of stuff. That allows us to be more informed in terms of, um, maybe a payoff from our standpoint with what we're talking about that day is gambling can kind of push that information in our direction, but it's, it's difficult to, to really say how many people are going to embrace it. You know, like I, I don't, I've never been of the belief that if you don't gamble just because it's legal, now you're going to gamble. You know, it was the same thing with marijuana. Like if you didn't smoke weed now that it's legal, I don't think you're just saying, Oh, I'm going to start smoking weed now because it's legal. I don't think it's it's stigmatized the same way it used to be. You know, people, people, the fact of the matter is people have been gambling online for years. They just haven't necessarily been doing it through Canadian outlets. So it's been here. It's been around for a while. I think the biggest impact it can have is how the leagues operate and how that maybe changes the way we operate on a daily basis and the potential for an infusion of money if, you know, some of these, these kingpins in the sports gambling world continue to pump in the amount of cash. You know, you see that, with, with Levitard's show, with uh, McAfee's show, you know, how that applies to conventional media, I'm not sure. Again, that's out of my wheelhouse. That's not my job. But um, it, in the end, this is a business. And if if it allows for a different viewpoint on that, I think that could be beneficial for everyone. 
Donovan, are you feeling any um, inherent pressure to start thinking about how you want to, how you will present the content that you want to do within the framework of the interests of your employer when it comes to sports gambling? Not maybe the inherent pressure is I understand that it's important for the future of the business. And thus, if I want to be a part of the business in the future, I need to get on board and figure out, you know, what part I'm going to play. You know, I, I, I agree with Hayes. The marijuana analogy is the correct analogy because everyone thought it's going to be endless cash for everybody. And ultimately a couple of people made a lot of money and a lot of people made no money. But, but I do think the difference in terms of, you know, maybe if you don't gamble now, are you going to be a gambler is it's going to be so much easier for you. And so someone who plays fantasy, which essentially, you know, is, is just kind of fun version of, of gambling, you know, may not be willing to create some offshore account um, and gamble now. But if you're walking into Scotiabank Arena and you get hooked up to the Wi-Fi and push to your phone is the opportunity to sprinkle a little money on Fred Van Vliet assists in the first half, and it's linked directly to your banking app, you might say, yeah, sure, this might be interesting. I think those type of integrations is where you can see a big difference because it's going to be made, if done right, so easy for you. I I think from a, a broadcast standpoint, it helps us because any way we can get viewer retention throughout the entire uh, ball game, it, it, it's a win for us from an advertising standpoint. It's why the March Madness tournament is so heavily consumed, not because people care about the Dayton Flyers, they care about their bracket. And so if you can add that context to sports more broadly, I think it's important, but you're talking to a bunch of people who work for telecoms. And I think the other big piece of this, it's not just the opportunity to have another player in terms of sales in sports. We essentially sell to car manufacturers, movie makers, and beer companies. That's what we're doing is we're giving them a reference point to talk to customers. Well, now all of a sudden you have the betting industry and, you know, DraftKings and FanDuel coming in as another big player. But the other big piece of this for someone like a telecom is data. The the real value, I think, is getting attracted to a bunch of customers and ultimately getting access to them and their data through the lure of of having them online as betters. And I think that data, you know, is is super valuable. So I think that's the other piece that someone, again, much smarter than me uh, with a bonus incentive much bigger than mine will have to figure out uh, in the near future. You touched. Yeah, sports is probably the best. Sorry, ahead, I was Karen. just saying, BJ, you touched on a really important thing that I hadn't even considered. It's going to really depend on, like, what Hayes said about, like, if you don't gamble already, you're probably not going to gamble. I think if you put a lot into gambling, that's correct. But with anything that has as much buzz as gambling does right now, there are going to be people who have never done it before who are curious. So it's going to depend on the companies how easy they can make it for people to get into it because there are a lot of people who will be deterred because they don't understand understand money lines. They don't understand how spreads work. And it can be intimidating if you're looking at a spread going, well, what do you mean the team with the minus is the team that's favored? Like, I don't understand this. If, if companies can find a way to explain it in layman's terms, make it super easy and super accessible, like DJ was saying on apps and things like that, I think you're going to get a lot of people on board. And maybe it doesn't last. Maybe it's just like, 
a honeymoon phase where they're into it and then it, it drops off. But I think that there is a huge opportunity there. It's just all going to depend on how easy it's made. Yeah, I think there'll, there'll be an educational component in terms of uh, of helping uh, new gamblers gamble. And then as uh, Donovan said, I think he makes a great point. Uh, sports is a great, great uh a great place for data mining. And that's what a lot of this ball game is about. It's getting your data, your information, your email, et cetera. Um, I want to finish on this. I'm going to start with you, Kara. Um, and it's sort of looking at who's going to be delivering content in however, whatever form it is as we head forward. Um, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, what do you think the Canadian sports media is going to look like, is going to sound like? Where are they going to work? Man, I have no idea. It's, uh, I think there are going to be more players um, in the game from all different perspectives. I think there's going to be a lot of bigger players getting involved, as we're already seeing with streaming companies, the Amazons, the Apples, et cetera. Um, I don't think we're going to see as many kind of major companies owning all the rights and things like that. So it'll diversify that way. But I also think that given how easy it is to create your own platform, you're going to see a lot of um, kind of people doing their own thing and doing it on their own. Like we're seeing people quitting their jobs, their full-time stable jobs and going at it on their own and creating a platform online on YouTube or whatever and producing their own shows and, and getting viewership and, and then driving ad sales that way, which is something that like is still, I think, fairly new. And people are kind of looking at it going, wow, that's, that's huge. People are willing to take that risk, but it's, it's paying off for them. Uh, and I mean, when people come to me from schools that are graduating, wanting to know, you know, the best way they can get into the industry. That's kind of where I'm pushing them is saying like, if you, you have a computer and you have a work ethic and you can do a number of different jobs then why not create your own platform? Because I think we're going to continue to see a lot more of that. Um, it'll be interesting to see how access to things changes. Like, you know, are people being able to give are people able to get access to, players to sporting events to things like that to create their own content um or will you still have to go through a major player to get you know media credits and things like that but um i think you're just going to see more players in the game um yeah brian what about you yeah i think um we touched on this a little bit earlier richard i ultimately the country isn't changing in terms of of consumers like people want content people are seeking out content I, i think what can possibly change is where they find that content in terms of the parent company. Um, but ultimately we're in a position where I, I look at what I do and what our show is. Um, 10 years ago, I was just a radio guy doing a radio show. And then it became a radio guy that uh, would be streaming on the website. So it was radio and web. And then all of a sudden they put us on TV and it was radio web and TV. And now they podcast every second of the show. So if someone were to ask me, what do I do? I would say I'm a content creator. Um, and it's radio, web, TV, podcast. So you can find us anywhere um, and, and you can access it in so many different ways. So I think there's already been this incredible advancement over the past 10 years. And at some point, it's got to come to an end. Like there's, there's, there's only so much more we can do with technology and there's only so many more different avenues. Like, yeah, TikTok shows up and then an Instagram shows up. Maybe those are things that could continue to come and go to an extent in terms of uh, the platforms. But I think the content will still be sought out. I think it'll be something that people are looking for. So, again, I think it comes down to what you do within the industry. Um, I, I 
am a content creator. I'm someone that talks about sports. I would consider myself a personality that can wear a few different hats, but I try to pump out content that people can consume. And, and I intend on continuing to do that. And I think if the audience is out there, then someone will pay me to, to supply that. Um, if it isn't maybe on my own in the future, like Kara said, that is something that a lot of people are doing. Now, I think there's a big difference if you're an established name, you know, quote unquote brand, as opposed to someone who's starting it that, that the general public doesn't know. Uh, that also comes with different expectations. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, the, the media world has changed a lot in 10 years. It will continue to change in 10 years. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, I, I expect people to still love sports and, and search for opinions, search for personalities um, and, and find what they're looking for and be willing to spend time on that. And now more than ever, and I, I expect that this will never go away, is you can track all that. Like, you know exactly how many people are listening to this podcast. You know exactly how many people follow you on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, or whatever. You have bold, finite numbers that you can sell. And I think from that standpoint, it actually should make it even more um, fruitful for people in the future because companies, I can look at it and say, all right, I'm not getting cheated here. I, these aren't you know numbers that I can't 100% rely on. And if the numbers are there, then you're going to have a platform. So um as for what that platform is in 10 years, I'm not sure, but I, I don't expect it to be drastically different. I don't think we're living on Mars in sports media in 10 years. I think we're still talking about sports. Uh, different people are in different lanes, offering up different views. Uh, and I, I expect people to come find it. Donovan, I'll leave you with the last word. I do agree with Karen. I think you're, you know, a lot of times you can't see sort of what the future holds. If you look, if you look uh, South to the States and whether it's, uh, Substack, people creating their own independent podcast network through funding, et cetera. I do think um, that is going to be a big part of Canada's future where you can, again, as Brian said, if you have an established name in the marketplace, you can become an independent and and create a living. How do you see it? Yeah, I'll, I'll be the pessimistic one and you know, change the lens of the conversation on who is going to be creating the content. That's what I worry about is how do we get those established names. I am so thankful that I didn't have to come up in this current climate that I have had a bit of a head start because, you know, I get the requests all the time about what do I do and how do I start? And I'm not really sure what to tell people. Like theoretically, there used to be two paths. You go to a small market, you do a bit of everything. You're the lighting technician, you're the camera operator, you run prompter, you host, you learn all those jobs and you eventually come back or you stay here you're at the bottom, you're writing scripts, you're a broadcast associate, and you work your way up in a bigger market. Well, now a lot of those small stations no longer exist. Now they're getting news from, from bigger outlets. So those jobs are going away. In the pandemic, internships aren't really a thing because now internships have to be paid. They're going away as well. So I, I'm, I'm struggling to see where this next generation of content creators are even going to learn their trade, learn about navigating in the industry, learn it about dealing with an, a union camera worker, an editor who you got to really motivate to get something done, uh, learn how to suck on air, how to be heckled doing a standup on the middle of the street. So I, I'm, I'm worried about, you know, how that vacuum gets filled and specifically for, you know, BIPOC content creators, we haven't done a great job in Canada of retaining them or developing them. 
many of them have had to go to the States for recognition. Uh, and then maybe we love them after the fact. John Saunders, Mark Jones, Kevin Weeks, Hazel May, David Amber, Adnan Burke, Carell Richards, Nabil Kareem, on and on and on. And so that's a Canadian thing where our musicians do that, our, our actors do that. But if I'm a musician, a young Canadian can get me on Spotify. Or if I'm an actor, they can you know, see me at a theater. If, if I want to be like Nabil, I can't see him on Turner or ESPN. I suppose I can follow him on social media. So I worry about the inspiration for the next generation of BIPOC creators specifically. And we're, we're missing a, a feeder ground. For many of us, that was the score. They were like the Montreal Expos of Canada where they developed lots of great talent. And if you just had a station with all of the alums coming out of the score, you know, you, you'd be in real good stead. But I'm not really sure, you know, how that's created. Maybe it's via YouTube and, and TikTok, but um, I'm not sure if you can translate that to a, a paid gig in our industry today. It, it, when I started, I made $22,000 uh, my first year. Who can afford to do that? in uh you know a major market like toronto i don't i don't know if anybody can so i, I am somewhat uh worried and pessimistic how we cultivate and create creators to have the opportunities that me brian and, and kara have now i appreciate that that's that's uh that, that's i hope that gives uh the audience something to think about as we conclude uh this segment of the podcast donovan bennett as i mentioned multimedia host and writer for Sportsnet, Brian Hayes, is the host of TSN's Overdrive, which you can catch on uh, multiple mediums, including uh, audio and digital and television. Kara Wagland is an anchor and reporter for TSN Sports Center as well as uh, the NFL on TSN. Donovan, Brian, Kara, I appreciate the, uh, the thoughtful conversation. Thank you so much today for joining me on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, here's the next panel. Uh, three really talented and interesting people. Sharina Maud is a senior contributor with CBC Sports, a co-host of the Burn It All Down podcast, and an instructor of sports media and sports journalism at, I, I'll just call it X University. It's formerly Ryerson, but it's not going to be Ryerson, obviously, heading forward. Morgan Campbell is a senior contributor for CBC Sports, after a long stint at the Toronto Star, his expertise includes covering the intersection of sports, race, business, politics, and culture. His work has been featured in the New York Times and the Best Canadian Sports Writing Anthology for the Americans. Um, listening here, you may have seen uh, Morgan's byline uh, not too long ago, in fact, in the New York Times. James Sabalski is the play-by-play -play voice for NHL 21 for MEA Sports. He's also worked for Sportsnet and TSN in Vancouver, and pleased to be joined by Shireen, Morgan, and James. Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. Yeah, good to be here. Yeah, two, two of the three talented, right, uh, Morgan? <laughs> uh, right, uh, Shireen? Like, two of the three. You guys are the rock stars. I'm, I'm well, just happy to be here. Shireen is also in the best Canadian sports writing anthology. Mm -hmm. It was all right, Shireen. Shireen, my apologies. Send me that whole <laughs> resume, Shireen. It's huge. Might take like a twenty-five minutes to do. It, I yeah, I was just like. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. <laughs> I was that actually that release party was really fun, Morgan. That was good times. It was good times. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I should be playing that song from Sesame Street. Can you guess which kid just doesn't belong here? Oh, there you go. I'm dating myself. 
All right, so there you go. Shireen is awesome. I mean, it seems like everybody's in this except me and James. So there you go. All right, let us let's Shireen. I want to start with you, and I'm going to ask you a broad question. You can take this anywhere you want, and then Morgan, you can follow, and then James, you can follow Morgan. Um, Shireen, are 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 sports viewers being served by Canadian sports media right now? Question that I have is: Are being served what? So, I mean, I think that there is a particular lens in which Canadian media operates. And I say this, uh, you know, I've been the way that I work and the process of my work has been informed by people that came before me. Like I've been super inspired and encouraged by Morgan. And I say this everywhere I go because his work is unique and smart. And I think that there is a particular way that people talk about things like Canada is extremely reluctant and really poor at admitting its own scruples when it cannot not scruples, but like histories of brutality and racism and, you know, whether it's slavery and indigenous genocide. And like, I mean, yes, I know that we're talking about sports, but that's my point. We still celebrate Lou Marsh as a trophy to give to the best Canadian athlete when his entire career was predicated on exactly anti-blackness and anti-indigeneity. And I mean, if I'm sure if we were going to ask Lou Marsh about how he felt about Muslim women, I'm sure it would have been the same thing. He just couldn't add that to his, you know, his bio of being xenophobic because I don't know how many there were in the sports space. I mean, truthfully, I'm like the only hijab wearing woman I know in sports in Canada. So, I mean, all this to say is that I think sports media is shifting in a certain way. And in particular, I think there is this slow admittance, but there is one nonetheless, that there are conversations the Canadian media is not equipped to handle and certain people are not equipped to handle. And that's okay because sport media is supposed to be dynamic. It is supposed to be something that burgeons new discussions and, you know, sort of emboldens different types of discussions. So I like to see it being challenged. I'm a disruptor in the space, no question, but I also teach and I want my students to challenge it. And I want my students to question things because one of the biggest faults of Canadian media is the fact that they haven't checked themselves and that needs to be done consistently. That's an interesting answer from Shereen Morgan. I think she, you know, the, the thing that really sort of is the tagline there, she's a disruptor. So that obviously shapes her POV um, and it's important to have disruptors in the marketplace. There's probably not enough of them. Again, same question for you, and it's intentionally broad for you to go where you want. Are sports viewers in Canada being served by the Canadian sports media right now? Yeah, well, I mean, it depends. Uh, because the sports media are like that phrase is so broad, right? So if you're just talking about like, can I see the games? Like there's a part of sports media that partners with all these leagues and, you know, they pay the leagues and then the leagues give you the rights and they bring you the content like that stuff is everywhere like you're not missing nfl nhl games you're not missing the premiership if you're ready to uh subscribe to the zone um you know there are very few events that if you want to see them you can't see uh, so in that way everyone's being served but what like where the gaps emerge one there are always the gaps that that shireen pointed out in terms of just like these big cultural blind spots um, in organizations and amongst the people that cover sports and people that have grown up covering a sport just for the sport and now have to try to write about how the sport intersects with politics, race, culture, gender, whatever. And yeah, and I haven't been equipped to do that because what they're good at writing about is um, somebody's power play, right? Um, so there's that. And so there's always been this need 
you know, for uh, writers, reporters, columnists in mainstream Canadian sports media who can uh, fill in, fill the gaps in coverage. Um, but then there's also the fact too, that like, you know, and the, here comes the athletic Richard, your day job, trying to fill these voids locally because local coverage uh, has been gutted by, um, you know, the shrinking daily news industry. So in that sense, um, it's really hard to serve readers because, and I think what is, now one, this is a trend that I had noticed before the pandemic, right? Is, uh, and this is not to pick on the Raptors, I love the Raptors, like their head of media relations, Jennifer Quinn, we worked together at the Star forever. She was a sports editor that brought me back to the sports department, you know, and let me kind of rejuvenate my career again. But at the same time, like I noticed this um, a year or two leading up to the pandemic where like the Raptors in particular, because that was a team that I wound up covering more than other teams, but like media access from day to day, <laughs> like at practice, Nick Nurse was going to talk, uh, and one of Pascal Siakam, Kyle Lowry, or Fred Van Vliet was going to talk, maybe Serge Ibaka. And then other than that, and Danny Green, because he had his podcast. But in terms of like uh, searching out your own stories in common areas, locker rooms, practice, uh, it was kind of hard. But at the same time, um, you know, I could see why the team preferred it that way, because you don't want a ton of... Uh, freelance free range interviews going on where the coach is saying one thing and the player saying something completely opposite to some reporter. And then you look in the, you look at the, the papers the next day and it's coach versus player. Uh, if you're a team, what you prefer is that, you know, the same group of people talk every night to the same group of reporters and you can be confident when the reporters file these stories, you're going to get a lot of versions of, the same thing. So this was happening before the pandemic. And now with the pandemic uh, and this restriction and access and so much of this happening, so many of the news conferences happening virtually and the teams have complete control about over who actually gets to speak to the media. That eliminates a lot of headaches for the team because you don't have to worry about these rogue interviews, at least not as much as you used to. But, you know, what it does too is it homogenizes coverage. So in terms of like, Areas where readers might be curious where they don't get served, that's one of them. And then, yeah, just in, in terms of like, uh, for lack of a better phrase, like multi uh, 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 intersectional sports coverage, uh, that has been, you know, a gap that has needed filling for a long time as well. And so in terms of making sports coverage more diverse, I see that happening. But in terms of like more access, I think that's only going in the other direction. So there's always that push pull. James? Yeah, I, I, like I, I think there's an old analogy in commercial radio, play the hits. And when you look at mainstream newsrooms, particularly from a sports standpoint, I think the emphasis is to always play the hits. And having been... I think the lone individual, uh, Morgan, you you uh, you spent some time in Chicago. I think at Northwestern uh, as as an as a student athlete. And Sharina, I'm not sure how much time you spent outside of Toronto as well. But I, I will say, growing up in Ottawa and then having worked in Vancouver for two tours uh, for the better part of the last 14 years, you know there is a real struggle out in Canada, particularly with what Morgan touched on with regionalism and local coverage. And there's been 
I, there's part of it, I think there's an element of an inferiority complex, I think, in some markets. But at the same time, I think there's a real regional bias to where a lot of fans and consumers of sports feel like they are underserved. And case in point, I live in Metro Vancouver. It is the third largest city in the country with you know a population base somewhere in the neighborhood of two and a half million people. You know, the Vancouver Canucks um, are, you know, a a big hockey team. Uh, they have a huge following. They have a strong regional uh, audience. And yet the regional coverage uh, provided on television, you know, there's no post-game show. There's no, you know, there's no real coverage among in the local market. It immediately goes to a highlight show based in Toronto. And that's been a struggle and a complaint for the audience you know, in this market for a very long time that it's just, okay, here's somebody to break it down or they go to intermissions with individuals that are based out of market. And so do you really have the pulse of what's happening in the city to talk about the team and dissect the play? Um, And now I'm just speaking about one example here, but, you know, you go through Calgary and Edmonton and Winnipeg and Ottawa, Montreal. I think there's been that sentiment that has existed for a long time. Now, what Morgan also alluded to Product has never been more available at the disposal for the consumer, for the watcher. Every game is available. And, you know, with the rise of multiple sports networks and, and games that you just never would have imagined being available. Like every NFL game is available now. Every NHL game, every NBA game is now available. Uh, you know, every baseball game. And so, and I'm just talking about the four major North American sports, but, you know, every, every, you know, look at your tennis coverage and content. Now you look at Olympic coverage has changed the game over the last 12 years in this country. Um, you know, golf for that matter, it's, you know, in soccer, Canadian soccer and these and qualifiers games that you would have never thought of being available are now becoming must see t- television. Um, so in that sense, it's hard for the actual game. It is hard to complain but I think coverage, I think locally has become very niche. Um, there is an incredible focus uh, for certain products and for certain teams for the major league sports. But, you know, some of the sports of, of the lesser lights or don't get as much uh, exposure. Uh, they really fall under, you know, look at the Canadian Football League and and you look at how the league is covered outside of Bell Media, which obviously spends millions of dollars annually on rice fees for the Canadian Football League. But, you know, we have become, especially in sports media, an industry that journalism exists if the money is there. Case in point, if you are a rights holder, you are now invested in covering that sport. Look at Sportsnet's coverage of the Canadian Football League. And I would bring it back to CFL. I mean, it is virtually non-existent. Why is that? Because they have no skin in the game financially to invest in and really bother with the CFL. And so I think that's that's a major issue. Um, I think that's, uh, you know, you look at that, you know, what's the lead story? Is the lead story the biggest story or is it, hey, you know what, that's our product. Look, look I mean, case in point, look at the World Juniors. Look at the big deal that you know, Bell Media and TSN makes about the world juniors, right? That has now become a made-for-TV event in this country. And, you know, the, you know the, the sense of nationalism and waving the flag for these teenage kids and, like, the intense scrutiny and pressure. that And they don't profit on any of that. And, you know, 
Bell Media, you know, they make a lot of money in terms of genre. Hockey Canada makes a lot of money as a result of it. I mean, you could see a parallel with, you know, the NCAA um, and and what we've seen over the last year with some of the landmark rulings with name, image, likeness. At what point do does the next Connor McDavid or Sidney Crosby say, hey, you know what? I want my cut if you are using me to market a product all across at some point, because most of these kids aren't going to NCAA schools. I mean, they're in junior hockey and guess what? Junior hockey is still about making money. So, I mean, I guess I'm kind of taking it, you know, stretching it wide. I think going back to what Shireen was saying with some of the conversations with disruption, you know, being a disruptor is great. And I, I guess depending on who your employer is, and I guess depending on who's in charge, you know, for years, for years, I wanted to do stories that would provide a deep dive um, to, to, to do something investigative, to tell a story that has substance. And more times than not, managers, news directors, decision makers, there was A, it was a resource issue that was always, we don't have the money to do it, or we simply don't have the time where, you know what, you know, Leafs post, we, we need to get, uh, you know, Leafs post game coverage is going to supersede anything else. So, you know, the idea of telling certain stories are, you know, they become a moot point until until people have to sit up and kind of take notice until the mandate changes. Right. It's like I, I love the series, The Wire, the television series, The Wire. Right. And, and it's the whole, you know, and for people that don't know it is, you know, kind of life uh, you know, on how basically policing is managed from the top up through City Hall and right through the federal, you know, through the state governments and all of it. And to me, it's uh, so much about managing up, right? It's what the direction is. And in a lot of ways, it's just focus on the day-to-day, um, you know, it, and is there an appetite for the storytelling going forward? I, I mean, I, I guess it depends on the consumer. I mean, there are way more stories and deep dives now. The Athletic is certainly seen, showing that they've got some success with that. Um, you know, you see, I mean, the Toronto Star for years has has allowed for a forum to, to have those features in, in certain sections. Uh, and not just sports, but in, in so many different sections uh, in the paper. But for the most part, I, I, I guess I, I wonder, like, is there an appetite to tell those stories more and more? It feels like they're there more now. But is that feeling the pressure to say, hey, we've got to we've got to show this or or, or not? Like, I'll, I'll give you guys an example. But when when George Floyd, I was working in talk radio, um, you know, two years ago when COVID basically shut down everything. So, right, we're all we're all stuck at home. There's no sports. And yet I was working at a sports radio station where we were forced to talk. You know, I mean, you're still the show must go on. You're still filling content with no gains and everything's just speculating day after day after day. And, you're, and you know, George Floyd's death you know, was a was a wake up call for a lot of people around the world. And it has changed the game and the landscape in so many ways. But, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, which was happening and with such enormity and force and protests out on the street and athletes were stepping up, right? I mean, we saw athletes speak like we haven't seen since going back to the late 60s when the likes of Ali and Jim Brown and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar were all raising their voices, you know, going back to you know 50 plus years ago. And I remember a manager saying to me at that time, 
you know, knock it off with the Black Lives Matter conversation. People don't want to hear, you know, it's, it's enough is enough. Like, move on. Like, talk sports. So I, I had somebody telling me that. But at the same time, you know, there's, you know, look at Sportsnet's improved coverage over the last couple of years with Black History Month, right? And now there's more features. But at the same time, like, same company, but I got one person telling me, hey, tone it down. Tone it down, knock it off. Nobody wants to hear that. And yet at the same time, you know, go on the Sportsnet website now. There's several stories for Black History Month. Yeah, actually, I wanted to jump in at one point when James was talking about the juniors. Now, we can parlay that discussion about hockey into the way that media actually helps propel something. Where is this attention for women's hockey? Where is this attention? One of the greatest, you know, in my opinion, the greatest disasters of Canada is that we don't have a sustainable women's league in soccer, basketball, or hockey. We are the gold medalists in hawker and soccer, hawker and soccer, soccer and hockey. I mean, this is a failure. But then again, look at what happened with the world juniors. Look at the way that the investment was put into it. They literally took a tournament of teenagers and made it a multi, multi-million dollar event. Where is that investment into the women? So as much as I think it's about culture and context, I think there's, you know, there's business and there's investment in media decisions that need to be made and need to be better. Um, and, and I think that's something that we should really examine. Where is the investment from Canadian media and interest in media? And I mean, I hear James when he talks about people, you know, uh, you know, managers not wanting to invest in certain, in certain stories, but I mean, that has never stopped me. I do it anyway. Um, and because I have to, and there's so few people that do it. And like I said, I looked at the people in front of me and I've been, there's no mistake and no coincidence that I've been freelance most like my career because, you know, people may not want me to challenge them on that. And I've been able, and I consider it an honor to have been able to do that because I've steered, like commandeered my own ship in so many ways, but it was a hard ride. And I mean, you know, there's some things that just because. And and Shireen, 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 just to jump in there. And I think that seems to be the answer, right? As, As a freelancer and being independent to kind of follow your own path. And I think allows for that flexibility and, and that creativity and, you know, to find that sort of inspiring story as opposed to, you know, because if you're waiting in a conventional newsroom, it may never happen or it might take years for that. Yeah. Right. Well, then again, sure. But then again, I did a lot of work with TSN and the first story I did for TSN was on Hockey Canada and I challenged them. So it is also about the impetus from a person themselves to take on that newsroom. And it's something that I, I will honestly say that racialized journalists have to do more than none because like the stories and the mantle that we carry to begin with. So, and women, women in these spaces are always, always, so many of my colleagues in this space are always talking about it, whether it's Christine Simpson, Chris Simpson talks a lot about what she's had to do. Tara Sloan talks a lot about the battle she's had to do behind closed doors. So it's, it's like people in marginalized spaces have to do this in a way that, you know, it's something worth examining and talking about. Morgan, I want to, um, I want to ask you your opinion on something that I think is going to change the shape of the, Canadian sports media, and this is no uh, genius proclamation by me, but we're about a month away from the real explosion of gambling dollars into the marketplace. And, you know, you're already obviously starting to see different entities, including the, you know, the big ones like Bell and Rogers, but, you know, Toronto Star and all sorts of places um, are going to be jumping on this because um, if you can be one of the last standing places you're 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 creating wheelbarrows of money let's be honest so i wonder from your perspective 
it's interesting because I've obviously already seen this in um, in my country, in the U.S., and sort of what's what's become of this. Um, there's certainly a prospect for more jobs. There's certainly a prospect for people to have more opportunities. At the same time, these are opportunities that revolve around gambling, and you have to ask yourself how you feel about that content. And um, and if you're a content creator, you know, is this the kind of stuff you want to do? Will the gambling companies allow you to do what you want to do and just sponsor you? There's, you know, we could do a whole podcast on that. There's a million questions. So from from your lens, um, how do you see this? Where will we be six months from now in Canada after this massive influx of gambling dollars floats to all these media companies? I'm not sure anything's going to stop the wholesale integration of gambling into the sports content we consume, especially on television. Like there's a, a, a network, Fantasy Sports Network. Um, same company that runs Fight Network, who I used to have a little show with with my man Corey Erdman. Um, you know, but the whole you know, this is like 2014, 15, 16 around there. Um, and the whole idea behind fantasy sports was that fantasy sports was the big thing. It wasn't technically sports gambling, gambling right? <laughs> yeah. right? This was sure. a game of skills, not gambling. <laughs> right. Okay, sure, yeah, but you're still, you know, hoping to make some money based on the outcomes from sports events. Um and they kind of had their lane because they were the only ones that kind of halfway dropped the pretense about, you know, and they had families, fantasy sports uh, in their title and their shows, you know, a lot of them were about gambling. Um, but now, yeah, like all of the established players, you know, nothing is stopping them from just integrating uh, gambling information, information for gamblers into their content. Like even when you look at, uh, ESPN Sports Center, and they have the the, the bad breaks bad uh, feature. Yeah. Bad beats, bad beats. Thank you. Yes, where like this whole thing is a bunch of highlights of people making plays that beat the point spread, and anybody that bet against the spread, okay, now you lost. Ha ha ha. Um, and so I don't know what's going to stop that really. And so the questions, you know, we as journalists have to confront are, yeah, like what kind of relationships do we as individuals want to have with uh, the gambling industry as a whole? And uh, with these companies like um, Lance Pugmire was covering boxing at the athletic and now he's at USA Today and he writes, he still writes about boxing, but he writes about, he, you know, his beat is gambling and he writes about gambling. Now, I don't, I don't read a lot of his stuff, so I don't know if he writes about strictly the act of betting and who should bet on whom and why, or like how the betting industry uh, is shaping sports. But all I can see is like, more of that um more people making sports gambling like their specialty as beat writers and again uh like you mentioned richard like someone like me like i write about sports i'm not into gambling and so (laughs) i am certain 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 events i can pick like i'm good at picking boxing for the most part i'm good at telling you in between like the Olympic 100 meter semifinal and the final, who's going to win six months out. Don't ask me, but like, if I've seen the semifinal, I can usually tell you who's going to win the final, except when Lamont Jacobs won in Tokyo, which nobody saw coming, but like, do I, am I good at that? And am I passionate and confident enough about that stuff to do it for a living? Heck no, (laughs) no, 
I'm not. So someone like me, you know, the, 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 what I would have to figure out is let's say I have a podcast or whatever, like an independent podcast. Do I feel comfortable letting a gambling company sponsor, sponsor the podcast? Right. And then how much do I got to talk about gambling on this podcast? Right. But this is, this is where this is headed. And instead of gambling kind of just being at the periphery, oh, why do we publish injury reports once a week? Why do we publish the betting lines? It's just all out in the open. So everyone's going to have to wrestle with how to integrate this stuff and how much that money is really worth to them. James, as someone who's worked for both Sportsnet and TSN, um, both those companies obviously are going to jump on this. Um, they already have in many ways, but you know, you'll really see it take off in Ontario in April. Um, how, how much will this influence, you think, Sports content, sports presentation, sports coverage in Canada. Everything. Everything. I, I think if you talk to people behind closed doors, they basically tell you, executives, that's it will it will control and change the narrative. And it's funny, if you go back 20 years ago or you know, in the late 90s, like my first real big break in media came when I was hired by Headline Sports, which is eventually became known as the score and the score, obviously the score mobile app is, you know, used by people or, you know, tons of people around the world. Um, but we had a ticker. We were the, we were the OGs of having the ticker at the bottom of the screen and had the odds. So, you know, it, it, the score didn't have the content as say a sports net or a TSN, but it, but, you know, if you were the, the die-hard degenerate sports fan or a hardcore gambler back in the day, um, that was your go-to channel. And so now, if you look going forward, every, all sports networks have a ticker now. Um, and, you know, ESPN, go back to the 90s, I mean, they had one, but it would pop up every 10 minutes, I think, with, with updates. But um, I think it's huge. I, I think it will shape so much. Um, and, and you're starting to see segments that are featured more and more built into news highlight shows. Uh, you're starting to see it more and more on digital. Um, you're seeing it more the conversations on social media on, on some of these on some of these accounts, you know, referencing what the point spread and and so, like, like, honestly, look at the NFL this past year. The amount of money that DraftKings is spending around the National Football League—they're they're constantly being featured in big commercials. You know, that doesn't—that's not nothing in terms of what they're spending. But what's funny in all of this, and I don't know if this is, uh, you know, again another slight detour, but it is interesting to me how gambling has been deemed thumbs up green light let's go now over the last few years and to now it's been right you know it's been legalized it's going forward and it's all happening but three years ago the federal government in canada legalized cannabis and yet it's been a no-fly zone for the major conventional broadcasters in this country to where they don't want to touch cannabis advertising but you can have every booze product produced right i guess it's i guess it's what's what's acceptable on your threshold for the syntax right because booze has been legalized i mean we are well past the days of prohibition from 100 years ago but we are okay with the syntax of alcohol with you know I mean, Molson was a sponsor for years for for regional hockey broadcasts, and and they still are, you know, and 
and beer and booze and vodka and, and you name the spirit or wine, whatever. I mean, it is socially acceptable to be advertising booze and gambling seems to be no sweat. And we're seeing it with, I, I had, um, you know, Bodog had reached out to me last year as um, to be an influencer on social media. And, you know, I was kind of half-hearted into it. I just, well, I didn't stay with it enough, but there was, yeah, there was a slight agreement that we had kind of talked about for a certain amount of promotional tweets. I would, I would, uh, I would retweet or, or mention their product. Um, but there are still, there's a number of people that, that are involved with it. And so, you know, I guess the struggle is, is where your moral compass is for each and every person, because gambling is here. It's here to stay. It's going to pay a lot of bills. And to me, going forward with the way that the industry has gone in conventional media, particularly in sports media, I mean, look at how much these newsrooms have shrunk in recent years and downsizing. Like, look at how much talent has either been, you know, scaled back, has been reduced, eliminated. And some people who have just looked at the industry altogether and say, I'm getting out. Um, you know, I think this is, uh, uh, there's a hope that this is going to provide a massive revenue stream for these broadcasters because, I mean, look, if, if we're to believe the numbers that have been speculated and reported over the years, but, you know, again, it's all just speculation in terms of what these offshore accounts have generated, but we're talking about in the neighborhood of billions. And so, We've essentially got the green light here in the next couple of months. But to me, going forward, it's going to be everything. And I think you're going to see so many built-in segments within these highlight shows, whether it's SportsCenter or Sportsnet Central. You'll have odds. They'll be talking about them. They will find ways. We'll see in commercials. I mean, I mean, Dan O'Toole, I see more of Dan O'Toole now than I think I did when he was on Jay and Dan with the amount of the Bent Rivers commercials these days, right? So... I guess in a round, in a in a long in a long way, I'm saying it's everything here going forward, and I think it's just going to be a case by case uh, scenario for you know prospective employees and contributors to go with their own moral compass to say how do I feel being involved with this? But you know, I don't know too many people who have quit because booze was a major sponsor and involved with it. Uh, they stayed away from cannabis, which I find highly hypocritical. And I guess going forward, I guess we'll see what happens with gambling. But I think it will be all over the landscape on these channels going forward. Morgan, you wanted to add something? Yeah. Two things I thought of as James was talking. One is that like indirectly, and it shouldn't have to be this way, but indirectly, like gambling adds a layer of accountability. When you think about uh, Brian Flores sued the NFL and he sued these teams. And one of one of these allegations was that Stephen Ross was trying to pay him to lose games. And we already knew that the Dolphins upper management, like higher on the ladder than Flores, was trying to lose because they wanted to tank for Tua. And they're trading. They traded Minka Fitzpatrick. They trade. They, they were offloading talent. Got all these older. And they still guys. screwed it up, Morgan. They still screwed it up. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Brian Flores says. This team owner tried to pay me $100,000 per loss to lose games. The NFL uh, first reaction says these allegations are without merit. Now, if I'm the NFL and I'm in these multi, multi, multi million dollar partnerships with, with whoever their official 
uh, fantasy sports partner is and whoever their official sports book partner is. I cannot just uh, summarily dismiss credible allegations of match fixing because I got a lot of people who have a lot of money invested in on 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 the assumption that the action they are watching and betting on is not fixed. And so if the if the NFL was not inclined to look seriously at a match fixing allegation like Flores is making uh, on their first reaction, that gambling money says, hey, make sure this is on the level. Do your best to make sure this is on the level, because this is what our revenue depends on, because we got people betting on, on us and people out here shaving points like people go to jail for stuff like this. Um, so that's that's the one thing. And the second thing, and this is how it relates specifically to the sports media industry, is that um, and you see this with fantasy sports and the way fans look at players as less and less as humans and more and more as commodities, like even more so in the fantasy sports era, because now all you are to me as a player is just someone to make points for my team so I can get money. And so the more and more leagues and teams and media outlets get involved with gambling and let gambling shape the coverage and telling their audience that the most important thing about this game is how you're going to bet on it. And the most important thing about all these players from seasoned, hardened professionals to 18-year-old college kids to 18-year-old major junior hockey players, the most important thing to know about them is how they're going to uh, protect your gambling investment. Um, I think, like, my fear is that uh, like that type of coverage, um, especially like day after day after day when it becomes normal. And, and, and like as an audience, you're just absorbing this and used to seeing uh, these players and these issues through that frame, through that prism of all you are to me, um, all, all you are to me, Tyreek Hill, is just an influence on my betting line. All you are to me, um, Sidney Crosby, is just an influence on my betting line. And like when we think about... Uh, like the ugly, ugly, ugly social media posts that flow into like college basketball players when they, you know, miss a shot in March Madness. Like how much more multiplied will that become after three or four years of uh, all the big sports media outlets just conditioning you to think of all these teams and all these players as less than human beings and just a bunch of robots whose job is to get out here and make your bet come true. And so that to me is like a, a very foreseeable, but also very ugly uh, 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 side effect of the gambling gamblefication of sports coverage. All right, let's finish up here. Um, I'm going to start with Shireen. Um, Shireen, if you were, I know in your, um, in your life, you, um, you're a teacher, you're a professor. So you obviously speak to, young people who want to go into the profession the profession out there um has seen a lot of consolidation it's seen a ton of layoffs certainly at the big places like um sportsnet and tsn so when you advise the young people who will take your uh university class um who really want to be in this profession what do you tell them because the you know the reality is for someone like myself yeah there was a real possibility if you sort of got to a certain legacy place after working in the field for a little bit, you know, you might, you, you really might be there for 10, 15, 20 years. Um, that is so much harder, if not impossible today, no one's career path is going to be linear. So what kind of, what, what, what kind of thoughts would you give to young people who really want to pursue sports media in Canada 
heading forward over the next 30, 35 years? Well, what it's a really interesting time right now, particularly as these young folks have, you know, they're navigating a pandemic. So they've had to flip to digital really quickly in terms of Zoom. They've got Zoom. They've had their classes over Zoom. They're in, you know, exploring different ways of storytelling, whether it's TikTok, which has become huge, um, you know, independent projects, media. I had so many students that, you know, were developing podcasts. Like, I mean, the joke was during COVID, everybody has a, you know, a podcast, but like the reality is, is that these are transferable skills, you know, get uh, in addition, cause I'm a scribe at heart, your fundamentals are your fundamentals. You're writing, you have to perfect it. Whether you become a producer or a broadcaster or whatever, you got to be solid in your writing because that is the essence of everything. And it helps with your storytelling, but also to explore and to not limit themselves. I mean, I remember, you know, being on a panel at NASH, a National Students Journalism Conference a couple of years ago, right before the plague hit, actually. It was January 2020. And I was on a panel with Bruce Arthur and his biggest advice to the kids was you got to have a side hustle. You got to have a side business because you can't rely on this industry. And like, that's his take. And I totally get that. But like, there's, there's other ways, like, you know, everybody has the side hustle these days, like burn it all down. It's it's our fifth year doing it. It was a side hustle. It is our, like, it's, it's the extra, extra project. Do you know what I mean? Like there's stuff that I do on this side, whether it's public speaking or presenting my research on Muslim women in sports or whatnot to have that. And, but the kids today know this, Richard. They know this. They're savvy. They're smart. They work ridiculous hours and they're capable. I think the, one of the biggest things that I see is that, you know, they're discouraged. So to be able to say, no, you can do this, apply for those internships, apply for those opportunities. You know, they're working. They've had a lot of pressure. They've been working full-time jobs. I had one student who was a varsity athlete, had two jobs and was taking a full course load. Like, you know, but also I would tell them to take care of yourself too, your mental health deserves that. Like you can't do anything if you break down that way. So incorporating the things that I wish I was told, you know, I remember being like in my late thirties and hearing about self-care and uh, uh, for the first time, but just sort of managing and balancing as best as you can. I work long, long hours and, you know, I'm always trying to convince myself, but, and people are doing so many things. And so are these young people, but I'm a positive. I'm a half glass full kind of person. Otherwise, why would I be doing this? But the other thing is that I say to them is sustenance. Like you want to have a stable career that sustains and that's impactful. And then I tell them to look for community. I've certainly found community and, and, and I know who my inner circle is in this place and that will help immeasurably. That's uh, that's really well said, Shereen. You know, the, um, I, I mean, this would be valuable obviously for any, um, you know, for any subject uh, that you're taking in university but a really smart journalism program will have a mental health component to its class um, core curriculum and sort of how to have self-care because uh, journalism and, you know, will obviously include sports media in it. It, it really is a sort of a very, very taxing, all-consuming profession. And particularly, obviously, for people of color, there's a lot of uh, abuse that they take on social media and in other places. And that would be a very wise suggestion, I think, for a um, for a thoughtful uh, journalism uh, program to, to, if nothing else, maybe just even have a section. You could, I mean, you could, I mean, you could look at a lot of take industries. Take care of yourself. Right? Right. Sorry, you, you could add a lot of industries to that, right? In terms of from a mental health standpoint, I think the difference is is for for public employees, police, fire. I mean, paramedics don't quite have the same powerful unions like cops and firefighters do, but you know, and, and I. There are now, there's now an infrastructure 
uh, in place for a lot of those first responders, you know, nurses as well, and people that work in hospitals. There's an infrastructure for more and more of them now to deal with these sort of stresses. But working in the private sector, um, you know, there's a lot of strenuous jobs. And like you said, I mean, alluding to the, the harassment and abuse that we've all taken uh, on social media, and I think anybody in public profile, I mean, you know, the amount of times and for sure, but it's not, yeah. but, it, but I mean, the reality is James, I think you'd have to admit it. I, no, me and you are not getting anything close to what Shereen and Morgan might get. I mean, we're white males in an industry of white. No, we're just, we're not going to get the same shit that, that others are going to get. I'm not, listen, no, I'm not saying no, I like no, being called an asshole no, no, or stupid. I just have to be real. I, I just have to be realistic about what I'm, uh, uh, what I'm getting. You know what? A hundred percent. And, and I, you know, I, I always think, you know, when you touch on that, I, I think back to 10 years ago when uh, Joel Ward, who had a wonderful career in the National Hockey League, scored an overtime winner, um, you know, to eliminate the defending Stanley Cup champion Bruins in, in the playoffs. And, and my God, like just the, the online abuse that was thrown at him was, was disgusting. And it was really one of the first times to kind of see, wow, like this, like social media kind of sucks here. This is like Twitter is an absolute cesspool. No, I, I no, And, and I, and I, I think, no, no, to that point, a hundred percent, like we won't take it. Um, but it's, but in terms of to go forward, like, do I see that being offered in a post-secondary school? I think it'd be amazing. Um, but, but I mean, are there, I guess are post-secondary institutions going to be as progressive to offer that sort of component? Because I think what, what's, what's sad, and, and Shireen, obviously, you're, you're an educator. I mean, you can probably speak to, to this way better than I can. Um, but, you know, is, is that something that you can see in the industry going forward? What's, what's unfortunate is I think, I think a lot of people just kind of go, well, it just kind of comes with being on social media and it shouldn't be accepted. Right. And unfortunately that's the sad thing or people telling you, you know, you're awful. You know, and I mean, you know, some of the hateful stuff that I mean, even. Yeah, I don't, I don't get your awful. I get, you should go back to where you came from. You should be chained. Like we're, it's not, it's not an like an oppression Olympics, but I'm just saying that's not what I get. And to be very honest with you, can I see it? Yes. Because I'm going to be one of the people that implements it, which is why I went in to journalism in the first place. I'm not waiting for other people to do this shit for me. I'm going to do it myself. As the other uh, uh, part-time American, part-time Canadian on this panel, I'm proud to do it. And Richard, at some point, you got to tell me, like, had you ever even heard of the World Junior Hockey Championship before you moved to Canada? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll answer this and then you should finish. So um, in this, I mean, listen, it has no impact in the States, like zero. Like literally, it doesn't, it doesn't register at all. That said, yeah. prior to moving up here in 2018, NHL Network started covering it, so uh -huh. we actually could see it. And and you know the diehard hockey fan, like the the person who really wants to know, like how the, the Bruins' number one pick probably yeah. would check it out. But if I remember right, I'm you know my my memory is hazy. We really might have been talking like eighty thousand viewers. I mean, like literally in the United States. Yeah, like, and, and all of them. And me, me, you, and Shereen can have like play dodgeball on ESPN two. We'll yeah. get eighty thousand viewers. Well, exactly. So like, yeah, so it's and it doesn't resonate. Um, although, and then lastly, just coming up here, man, it was like it was a mind fuck. Like, <laughs> I, I can't believe how many people care about this thing. And then I I kind of understood why TSN yeah. sort of has built it and plays it up because like people people really care. I'm not sure it's healthy, but people no, it's care not. about this tournament.
it's not healthy at all. And but people care about it too because Canada wins more often than it doesn't. And for everyone that has, but the, and for everyone that has all these arguments about why women shouldn't play hockey in the Olympics, like there's not a single argument you can make about women's hockey that you cannot also make about men's hockey in terms of like the shallowness of the of the talent pool, the narrowness of the appeal. Guys, keep in mind though, like we're really only one generation or removed into the development of women's hockey as like, you know, I remember as a kid, you know, in Pee Wee, we played against a women's team or a girls team um, when I was about 13. And like, they were the one team in the city. Right. And, and, and that was in Ottawa going back and, you know, and a lot of kids playing hockey back in those days, but we're really only one generation, you know, in terms of the growth of women's hockey becoming an Olympic sport. Like, like let's, let's see where it goes. Like I'll give you an example. But I, I won't name her name just because I don't want to. I don't want to out her on it. But like one of one of the greatest female hockey players ever was sitting in the crowd. And when I was at the score in two thousand one, we were covering the U uh, Sports uh, Women's Hockey Championship, and this was in Calgary. I go to do an in-game interview with her, and I'm thinking in my mind like oh, she must be like over the moon that we're covering all these games. And we're, we're, we're basically doing the quarterfinals and the semis and TSN is going to take over to do the finals. And I'm, in my mind, I'm kind of almost gloating like, man, she must be really happy we're doing this for, for the good of the game, right? I sit down next to her and she says to me, I can't believe you guys are doing this many games. Like this is brutal hockey. And this is women's university hockey. There was Kim St. Uh, Kim St. Pierre was playing for McGill, like Carolyn Willette, who was, you know, I mean, you see her in a lot of profiles now, with I believe uh, associated with Chevy and the Good Deeds Cup, and and just in terms of, you know, she was like, this hockey is brutal, and talking about women's university hockey, and this was twenty years ago. Like, look at the talent pool, even just over the last twenty years. I mean, you've got hockey academies all over the place with girls playing, just as many as boys. And so the landscapes change. And I, I'm with you guys. Like, it's going to take some time. It's not there yet. It's still a two horse race. But let's let's see where this conversation is in even another 15 years from now. So, Morgan, sorry about that. I, I uh, you should finish up here. That's okay. Yeah. Oh, just in terms of uh, yeah, advice to give to 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 young people trying to get into this industry. Um, is two things for me. Uh, one is that, and this speaks to something James mentioned, James mentioned before about managing up, is that like every college or university journalism program needs either like formal education, but I don't know how you would grade this, or at least like some seminars on like the politics of the newsroom and the importance of either like managing up or being honest with honest enough with yourself to know that like managing up is not your strength and figuring out how you're going to advance your career uh, without like brazenly, blatantly managing up to cover up for, you know, your deficiencies. Um, but like the reality is, you know, the people that get ahead aren't always the best people. The best way to get ahead is to convince someone above you that it's in their best interest that you get ahead, that your success feels like their success and you will get ahead. And sometimes it happens for people that have a lot of skill. Sometimes it happens for people that suck. But like, it's, it is what it is. And like, I, what I can't stand is that we just always pretend that this industry is a meritocracy and it's not. And that's why it makes me like, when really good people actually do get ahead, I get really happy because you see any place you've worked, you've seen person A be a lot better than person B, but person B gets the promotion just because they have a better relationship with the person above them. 
And so they can go on that. Uh, they can go do that investigation, even though they might not do it as well as person A. They can go do that deep dive story that brings them a lot of glory um, because they have a better relationship with the person who signs the check and, and approves the expenses. And the second thing, because uh, Richard, I've heard you talk about this, I think, on Bob McCallum's podcast. This is a conversation I've been having for at least a decade is that in the sports media industry, like for more than a decade, there's just been a steady hollowing out of the middle class. Uh, and what you're left with are like the superstar people that make a ton of money and then like young, cheap, expendable people. <laughs> and then people like me in the middle, I just stay dodging these arrows or as they. Uh, or you, or like Shereen said, you just you have to just hustle to do, yeah, to do as well, many as, different gigs as you can to, to cobble together your your income. Listen, man, as 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 they pull up the ladder, I just keep hopping and grabbing that last rung and getting a couple more rungs and they're pulling up the ladder, trying to, trying to leave me behind as they haul about the middle class. And like, I just keep hanging on, but like, that is the reality of this industry. And it's been the reality uh, for more than 10, like 10 years ago is when I really started noticing it, but it's been the reality. So it's better for like students to understand that that's what this is than to tell them, Oh, you'll be fine. You'll have a job for 20 years. It'll be steady. You don't have to worry. It's a meritocracy. You'll just climb steadily stage by stage like people used to back in the 60s or whenever because it's not like that anymore people have to understand what what environment they're stepping into Sharina, you i mean you're certainly welcome to finish but like one of the things uh Sharina, i appreciate what you're saying is and jay mcmanus and i used to try to tell our students this back in the states it's just you have to be honest with them about what they're yes. entering just so they understand um the landscape ahead of them but i like your optimism and i think um you know you're a testament to basically somebody who created uh, a path for herself to do the kind of journalism she wanted to do. Um, so I'll let you finish. Shereen. Yeah. Just to, you know, also piggyback off what Morgan was saying about this isn't a meritocracy. It's an, it's an, you know, network industry. It's who, you know, and what your connections are. And I am a huge supporter of mentoring. I've done it with CAJ. I've done it with the Canadian association of journalism. I'm doing it with the national media magazine. Like I'm doing all of these things because I really believe that that is, you know, helping students understand and also being realistic with them like everybody wants to end up in broadcast but not everyone's built for that like not everyone's everyone's skills can be different you can contribute in a meaningful way editing like i like i literally say prayers for my editors seriously may god protect them because like along the way I've, it's made me a better writer it has made me think differently and more critically in some ways and so you know not everyone is going to do that not everyone's going to have the talk show not everyone's going to you, you can contribute and be really impactful in your role and there's so many things to do i encourage students to get into investigative there's not enough people in this country who do investigative stuff work in sports and so you know along everything to cover women's sports, which I think is hugely important. And, you know, I think that that's the, that's what I would say, but again, I do want to be positive with them. I mean, who wants to crush 19 year olds dreams, right? So like, so, you know, just tell them to keep plugging away, but it's not going to be easy. And, and for a hundred percent, the work, the work has to speak for itself. All right. Shere Shereen Ahmad, it's Shereen Ahmed. Honestly, I'm sorry about that. Shereen is a senior contributor with CBC sports. One of the big dogs now in the marketplace here in, in Canada, co-host of Burn It Down podcast and uh, an instructor of sports media and sports journalism at, when is that university's name going to be changed? Shereen? June, 2022, we get the update. All right, fine. Thank you. Fine. Morgan Campbell is a senior contributor for CBC sports. Um, and you can catch his uh, work there as well as when he's writing for uh, the New York times, and some other places uh, catch both Shereen, obviously Morgan and James on Twitter, James Cebulski, 
play-by-play voice for NHL 21 from EA Sports. Uh, he has uh, worked for both Sportsnet and TSN in Vancouver in a long time. Respected voice there. Shereen, Morgan, and James, I appreciate uh, your insights and uh, giving me a ton of time. All three of you work incredibly cheap. Thank you. And thank you very much uh, for, for joining. <laughs> it's the name me. of the game now, right, Richard? I know. Thank you very much for joining me on the Sports only, Media hey, Podcast. Only for you, Richard. Don't go telling people I work cheap. I know. <laughs> I respect Shireen and I, I, and I respect her rate. She's totally giving me a cut discount rate here. So, Well, I, I was just going to get some Uber Eats and send you the receipt. Shireen, James, Morgan, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Right, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. All right. Back in the studio. My thanks to all my guests uh, for their time. Really appreciate it them coming on and doing this if uh, you like these uh, kind of podcasts please uh, leave us a uh, five-star review and a nice note that's how the podcast continues previous podcast before this jimmy train and i had an emergency podcast on troy aikman heading towards uh, espn and monday night football and uh, all the reverberations that come with that before the aikman podcast had mike Tarico, whose assignments uh, obviously include uh, the olympics the nfl and Notre Dame football. Um, he uh, is part of those reverberations as uh, we will see what happens with Al Michaels. Prior to Mike Tarico, Michelle Tafoya on her uh, next role, and USA Today's Nancy Armour on what it was like to cover the Olympics from China. And then we did the challenges of covering a Super Bowl with Jim Trotter and Jay McManus. Before that, ESPN president of programming and original content, Burke Magnus. Hopefully, there are things, uh, if you go down the archives, that you'll be interested in and uh, that you'll like. I know this podcast was a long one. I appreciate those who stuck around until the end. Hopefully uh, you got some insight out of it. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti, of course, for his work. Thank you to everybody at Cage 13, and thank you most of all for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.